Paul, tell us, um, you got a bit of an accent. Where are you from? Uh, yeah, grew up in a place called Leamington Spa in the UK. Then spent 10 years in Oxford in the UK, six years in London, and have been here for the last nine years. And during the last nine years, what have you been up to? Uh, I worked at a church in Sydney, North Sydney, called St Thomas's, for uh, three years. And then six years ago, or coming up for six years ago, planted a church down in Kirribilli, which is uh, just on the harbour there by the Harbour Bridge. Um, took 40 people down to a basically an empty Anglican church building down there. Started a new church, uh, still working for the mother church for St Thomas's for the first couple of years. After a couple of years, the church down and in Kirribilli had grown to the size where we needed to be separate from St Thomas's, so I went down there full time. Uh, four years ago. Okay. And you started a church called Church by the Bridge? Yeah. How long ago? Uh, it'll, well, be, it'll be six years in February. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Good. Good, good. Now, if you know anything about Paul, um, he's, he's the kind of guy with a huge amount of capacity to see a million people a week and catch up with people. But the, the question we've all got on our minds now is, now that you've gone and got yourself married, um, uh, so for a while there, Paul is like... The, I, was, one of the, one of the few... I was waving the flag for single Christians in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. And it's great. The, and the fact that you've been so successful, we just put that down to the fact that, you know, you had nothing else to do but ministry while the rest of us are struggling <laughs> away with families. But um, how, you've been married now for how long? Uh, seven months. Okay. And um, from what I hear, it's not impacting you as much as I'd hoped it would. Um, <laughs> so, um, but we'll see, eh? We'll see you in time. Um, you go for <laughs> How'd you follow that? Um, I've been asked to speak on making and following up evangelistic contacts, which is kind of a bizarre topic, because if we're here and we call ourselves Christians, forget the church planting bit, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, then we should have a heart for the lost, and we should see people how Jesus sees people, which is uh, lost helpless, without a shepherd. Uh, so this talk is kind of a bizarre talk because uh, everybody in your churches who loves Jesus, who's living for Jesus, should be thinking, these people without Christ are heading for hell. How can I love them into the kingdom? How can I share the gospel with them? That should just be part of their DNA. Uh, when I came to prepare this talk and I guess what the organisers were after is a list of hows and uh, a list of things that you should do to form advanced contacts. I'll give you some of those. I'll give you things that we do to ensure that we're always making contact with the non-Christians. I'll give you those in a minute. Uh, I want to start off by really sharing, I guess, the story of, of Church by the Bridge and my story in particular in terms of the way that I, I uh, had contact with the unbelievers. So I was converted when I was 20 in the UK. I'm the only Christian in my family. Um, I didn't know any Christians at university. I, I became a Christian through a Buddhist uh, who tried to persuade me to become a Buddhist. And then I spent two years looking into world religions, looking to Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity, and met the person of Christ just through the scriptures. And then walked into a church. I've been to a church maybe two or three times in my life before that. And it was this, this alien place full of these Christians doing really strange things. Uh, all, my, all my friends were unbelievers. Uh, but I found within two years of being a Christian, 
my whole friendship network had shifted so dramatically. And I was at church five nights a week. And my unbelieving friends were getting frustrated with me because I just dumped them, which I had. Uh, when I came to um, Sydney, uh, I didn't know anybody from the UK. I'd been, I spent a year at more college, so I knew Christians. I was working for a church, uh, and all my friendship networks were full of Christians. And I made a big decision when I came to Sydney that I was going to have two nights of the week when I refused to see any Christians, and I was going to get out there and just spend time with unbelievers. Uh, joining a, a running club, joining a triathlon club, just uh, going down a local community centre, signing up for courses. Uh, I did a Spanish course, I did a French course, and uh, not to learn Spanish, not to learn French, but just to actually have contact with unbelievers. What happened when we started Church by the Bridge was, for the first 18 months, uh, we were fervent in our evangelistic activity. You know, we're door knocking, we've got the, the core team of 40 people, we're finding out about the area, we're living in the area, we're going around making contacts, and in God's kindness, in God's grace, uh, the church grew rapidly. Uh, within our first 18 months of Church by the Bridge, I reckon we saw 40 or 50 converts, uh, not, not just transfer growth, but converts, uh, that come through the contact of the church family, relationally, had come to know Christ, had heard the gospel, repented and believed, they came to know Christ. What happened then was that, I guess, Church by the Bridge became busy, and we put on programs, and we spent a lot of time training people and discipling people, which is a good and important thing to do, but the Christians at Church by the Bridge became so busy doing Christian activities and we say, became so consumed with Church by the Bridge that evangelism dropped off the agenda. And we have grown in the last five years. We've grown from the initial 40 to about 500 today. But in the last three years, I reckon the majority of our growth has been transfer growth of Christians coming into Church by the Bridge. So about a year ago, uh, I sat down with the evening church people, the, the leaders, and just said, okay, we're going to scrap some programs. We're going back to Thursday nights and Friday nights being ministry-free nights. No, nothing at church on those two nights. Uh, don't spend it with your family. Go out there with your family and spend it with unbelievers. And that has changed, again, the culture of, of evening church. We've become outward-looking rather than inward-looking again. I've been interviewing for an assistant pastor for the last six months I've probably interviewed about 25 guys, haven't got anybody at the moment. Uh, one of the questions I ask them is, uh, who have you led to Christ in the last five years? Uh, not one person could say that they've led anyone to Christ in the last five years. Uh, who, who are the unbelieving friends that you are investing time with? Uh, how are you creating opportunities to rub shoulders with unbelievers? And it's kind of like this, this bizarre blank look on, on all these, these able, capable Bible teachers, godly men, great gifts for teaching and preaching and pastoring, but it's kind of like evangelism has dropped off their radar. And college does that to you. I've been preaching a, a sermon series at the moment at a church on the, um, the Sermon on the Mount. 
So a few verses have struck with me. So could you turn to, to Matthew chapter 5? Three verses 13 to 16. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and, give it, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The thing to take note from this is the you in verses 13 and verse 14 is an emphatic you, you emphatically, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. You're not just called to be the light, but you are the light and you are the salt. That's your identity. But the you is singular. It's not plural. It's not the church is the light of the world. Not the body together is being salt and being like, of course we're going to do that collectively. Of course, corporately, as a church, we're going to do that. But every individual Christian is called to be salt and light in the world. And you're called to make a difference. You're called to live differently, to speak differently, to act differently amongst the pagan world. And so the gospel just radiates from you. The salt metaphor, as you know, is just a preservative. So it's saying that you Christians... Individually, just little you, by the way that you live, the way you act, the decisions that you make, your ethical framework, you can prevent the decay of our society. Just the comment in the workplace, uh, the sitting down with a meal for somebody, and the way that you think about life, it can change the way that they, they think about this world. Have you heard of the guy, uh, Richard Baxter, from Kidderminster, famous for his reform pastor, you know, he went around visiting houses. Uh, what's less well known is that during that time of revival in, in Kidderminster, the, uh, I guess the, the, uh, a fairly pagan city was transformed. So violence dropped in that city and the alcohol abuse decreased in that city. And it wasn't because the church were publishing papers on alcohol abuse. It was because the Christians that had been converted into his ministry were just getting out there into Kidderminster, into the city, and living radically different lives. And that changed people, and it brought them to faith. They were making a difference. The same with being a light of the world. He said, that's your identity. You are the light. Don't work hard, slog your guts out, and desperately try to do all these good deeds. Just live as Christians. Live so that Jesus radiates from you. I, get, I think we get verse 16 wrong in two ways. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. He doesn't say do all your good deeds in the church family. He doesn't say that. Of course, yeah, you care for your church family. Of course, you must meet them as your church family, but your good deeds should be done beyond your church family as well. And the second thing, he doesn't say, you know, speak in an enlightened way and uh, articulate the meaning of the gospel so clearly and write books on the gospel. Of course you must do that, but you almost must live amongst the pagan world, doing your good deeds amongst the pagans so they see the light, they see the good deeds, and you make the gospel attractive. Someone said to me that uh, people will not listen to your lips if you're not living it out in your life. 
They won't listen to the gospel if you don't see radically different lives. And I guess that's the, the crux of this talk in terms of making evangelistic context, is that you and I have got to be so captivated by Christ, so in love with Jesus, so uh, convinced that without Christ, people are heading to hell. And we've got to learn to see the world and see society through the eyes of Jesus. Seeing them as helpless and harassed as a sheep without a shepherd. I want to say, friends, that uh, I know there are many people in this room who are very gifted. You're gifted at teaching. You're gifted at dreaming your, your visions and plans for your church plants, and, and that is fantastic. And you need to keep cultivating that. But if you lose your passion for Christ, and if your week is so filled with you know, preparing a sermon and planning an event and planning a church plant that you personally are not walking so closely with your Savior, and your, your love for Christ is not deepening each day, then you will lose your evangelistic edge because you will stop seeing the world as being lost without Christ. It's interesting that these verses in verses 13 to 16 come just after the Beatitudes. Let me just read them very quickly and I'll get onto the, the how we do things. Verse 3, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, that's the person who recognizes their spiritual bankruptcy. Uh, just, you're constantly walking around saying, I, I can do nothing to earn forgiveness. I can do nothing to earn, to earn my salvation. I, I'm lost without you. Thank you, Jesus. I have nothing to offer you, God. A spiritual pride amongst young Christian men in particular. It can destroy your own relationship with God and it can destroy your ministry. But to get this right where you say, I'm poor in spirit, I've got nothing to offer you, God. Just take me, use me, mold me. I can't earn my salvation. That will actually uh, radiate from you as the pastor into the people that you're seeking to lead, to encourage, to, to share the gospel. Blessed are those who, who mourn. The context there is mourning their sin. So it's that daily confession of actually, I'm a wretched sinner in need, in need of grace, in need of forgiveness. Do you remember the, the old prayer book, the 1662 prayer book, and it says, um, we acknowledge and bewailed our manifold wickedness. And I don't know about you, but when you, I sit down in the morning and read my scriptures and have a time of confession, I'm sort of struggling. I'm sorry, God, for this. What, what am I so sorry for? But actually sort of grieving your sin and recognizing that you are a wretched sinner, that will keep you humble. I was reading a, a missionary journal. Listen to these words of a guy. It's written 200 years ago. He said, in my morning devotions, my soul was exceedingly melted. I bitterly mourned my exceeding sinfulness and my vileness. When we mourn our own sin and we mourn the sins of the world and we start to see the world as living as enemies of the cross of Christ, uh, then we start to make advantage of contacts. Uh, blessed are the meek. We're called to be humble. We're called not, not just to be nice, but to be humble, to put others' needs before ourselves to recognize that we are just there to serve our Savior. 
I interviewed one guy for the assistant minister's job who's an exceptional preacher, an exceptional guy. Uh, he said to me, I'm paraphrasing slightly, if you were lucky enough to have me, I'll be asking for an additional four weeks off because I'm an exceptional preacher who's in high demand on the itinerant circuit. And I said to him, I'm looking for a man who is walking humbly with Jesus and you're content to be in Kirribilli week in, week out, preaching to the few, winning the lost. I'm not looking for somebody who's longing to be a Christian superstar. And, and cultivating that meekness, cultivating that humility. Why am, I, why am I going through all this? Because what I'm trying to say is that if you as the leader and, and you as the pastor or, or the planter, if your humility and your spiritual poverty and your character is not radiating Christ, then you're not going to be modeling to your congregation how to live for Jesus. And when you get out there and make all these non-Christian contacts, they're just projects. They're just people you're trying to talk the gospel to. And they're not going to see anything different about the way that you're living. Why should I follow Christ? Because they see in you a man who is meek, who is humble, who is a peacemaker, who is living differently. And you make the gospel attractive by, by the love of Christ that radiates from you. I hope I'm being clear here. What I'm trying to say is sort out your relationship with Jesus. Walk humbly with him. Start to see the world through the eyes of Jesus. They are harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And it just radically changes your way you, you view evangelism. If you're not doing it, you can preach to the cows can home about how they should be evangelizing. They don't see you as a pastor doing it. If you've got no non-Christian friends, if you're not out there in a the community, if, you don't, if you're not inviting people to your own church, then you're just basically telling people to do it, but you're not modeling it to them. So that's really my first point. Take Jesus' word, word very seriously. You are the light. You are the salt. You're called to live differently, to be differently. Start to see the world through Jesus' eyes because you're, you're walking so closely, so humbly with your Savior that you just want to see things from his perspective. That's the best way to make evangelistic contacts is to have such a close walk with Jesus that you just want to see these people saved from hell and brought to a, a, a living uh, relationship with Jesus. How do you do it? This is what you're here for. You were here for a sermon on humility and walking close to your Savior. But how do you do it? How, how do you make evangelistic contacts? Uh, a lot of this work here is uh, done uh, in conjunction with uh, my community pastor. Her name's Hayley Neal. She's an absolute legend. Uh, she's got a, a blog called Without a Shepherd. You'll find a lot of this stuff on, on that blog. Uh, number one is to love your area. So if you're planning a church into a local area, a local community, you've got to love that community. I don't just mean know your area. I don't just mean sit behind a computer in your office and do the statistical analysis. That's helpful. That's really helpful. You know, Go onto NCLS, National Church Life Survey. Go onto your local uh, council website. Find out who lives there. That's a really important thing to do. But don't just lock yourself away doing that stuff. Actually get out there. You know, in my first uh, year in Kirribilli, I blocked out three hours a week just to walk around the area and sit in the area and talk to people in the area. 
Um, uh, walk with eyes. You know, it sounds stupid, but open your eyes as you walk. You know? What cars do they drive? Uh, are there school kids walking around? Uh, who, who is around the area at midday? Are there businesses that have lunch in this area? Uh, who are the shop owners? Uh, I would say w within a year of being in a local area, you need, to have, you need to know your shop owners at least by name, to have a conversation with them. Hello, Brenda, how are you? Um, love your area so much that uh, you can, you, you grieve over the lost in that area. When you see that, that woman pushing her pushchair with the two kids in the pushchair who is lost without Christ, your heart just aches for them. Live in the area. Pray, pray for your area. That's what, another thing I do. Pray for my area. Um, I've got lists. I'm a bit of an analytical guy. I've got lists of all these people in the area. Not, not names, not just names of people, but, but uh, tribes in the area. We've got three schools. We've got one junior school. We've got two high schools that are all Catholic. Uh, we've got the North Sydney swimming pool. We've got two banks. We've got the greengrocers. We've got two delis. We've got 16 cafes within five minutes walk of church. Um, we've got the prime minister. We've got the governor general. Uh, we've got the uh, Nicole and Keith in the parish. We've got the rich and the famous. We've got the very wealthy business people. And then we've got a massive housing commission called Greenway where over a thousand people live. Uh, and we've got the elderly who have lived there all their lives before the bridge was built when Kirribilli used to be the red light district of the North Shore until it became a very posh suburb. They're still living there on, on old money. We've got a retirement village. Uh, don't just know them, but actually pray for them. Uh, just, just spend 10 minutes a day praying for your local area. Pray for them by name. Uh, pray for them in terms of their salvation. As you walk around, pray for the streets. We've got a, a, a system at church where you can adopt a street, which is basically where whenever you have a mail, mail out, you actually just you have the same street every time, but also you door knock there and you pray for that street. Um, I hope you know, again, you know every street name in your suburb. I hope you know every shop owner, every cafe owner. You, just, you know people. And so you're part of the community. Know your area. Uh, pray for your area, live in your area. This is a really important one. I, I spent the first four years um, of Church by the Bridge not living in the area. I lived eight and a half minutes walk away. It's not a long way, is it? But it makes a significant difference because when I moved into the area, I started to do, just do all the little things that you do like buy your milk and buy your bread and go to the post office uh, in that area rather than the area I was living in. It was only one suburb away. Now that's, that's means, meant sacrifice. It's meant a big financial sacrifice because it's much more expensive to live in this area. But the fruit in terms of the advantage contacts is massive. The person you just rub shoulders with as, you, as you, you're walking into the greengrocers or into the, I've changed banks into the local bank now. Actually just live in the area have time in your area, um, hang out in the cafes. There's a, a little old lady called Lily who is uh, 94. She's lived in the area all her life. She has a cup of coffee in the same cafe every morning at 11 a.m. And so one morning I said to her, uh, hey, how about we have coffee together? 
in that one hour of having coffee with Lily, I met 12 people who I'd never met before, who all knew Lily because she was there every day. And they stopped and chatted to Lily. And I said, hi, I'm Paul. I'm the pastor of the church. And so, so find the people who are the regulars in the area and say, hey, why don't we hang out? Why don't we just grab a coffee for an hour? Um, know, your local, know your local council. This is what Haley did for us. I failed to do it in the first three years. I started a church in Kirbilly, and I didn't bother to make contact with my local council. It's crazy, because like your, your local council actually employs, most local council employs a, a community worker whose job is to look after the, the marginalised and the needy. And they've got all these local government schemes or local council schemes that are trying to get up and running in your local area. What Haley did was she came in and a simple phone call, hi, I'm Haley. I'm the community pastor of Church by the Bridge. I'd love to catch up with you and find out what you're doing in our local area. How can we as a church help you? Uh, not, not trying to compete against them, but what can we offer that would help you in your local community events? Uh, that transformed our relationship with the local council. We found out they were doing all this stuff that we knew nothing about, uh, and it saved us from duplicating a lot of our, our ministries. Um, be interested in community events. As we've grown uh, a closer relationship with the, with the local council, we've got more involved in their community events. And that opens you up to, all, to this plethora of non-Christian contacts. It's funny that we as churches, we think that we put on a big event and we stick a flyer in someone's mailbox and we're disappointed when people don't flock along to it. And yet there's, a, there's lots of other community events that are happening in our community and we get the flyer, we put the flyer in the bin and we don't go along to it. I guess my challenge is to you, just, just pick one community event. I went to a Brazilian carnival <laughs> that was put on at the, uh, the Kibli Neighborhood Center. In the course of two hours, I'd had about 30 conversations with locals who live in the area. I'd never met them before, but they were in, involved in a local community center. Uh, there are stuff happening in your community. If you don't get out there, it, it's like two hours once a year. Just rubbing shoulders. It's a great way, and I'm the pastor of a local church. Oh, right, church. Yeah, I walk past church by the bridge, and five-minute conversation later, you're talking about what happens at church and what they think about God and that sort of thing. So get involved in your local community events rather than competing with them. Next one. Be time generous. To cultivate uh, evangelistic contacts takes a lot of time. It takes time to build trust. It takes time to know them so well that you understand uh, their, um, their worldview uh, before you can get in there and just uh, see how the, the gospel interacts with their worldview. Um, we are, as Christians can be so busy doing Christian things, rushing from one Christian event to the next. Just be time generous to, to, to block out time in your diary to actually do stuff with unbelievers. It's as simple as this. Uh, blocking out two hours of your week to do your sermon prep in a cafe rather than your office. You might only achieve what you would have achieved in one hour 
in the office because you're distracted. But sitting in a cafe with your Bible open, your computer there, the number of context, conversations you have, oh, what are you doing, preparing a sermon, blah, blah, blah. Um, choosing not to have takeaways if you're into coffee. Isn't it crazy to walk into a cafe, order a takeaway, go straight back into behind your closed door and drink your nice coffee at your desk? Um, if you're going to have a takeaway, give yourself half an hour to get your takeaway and have a deliberate conversation with the barista uh, who's making your coffee. How's your day going? What's on your, what's on your diet today? What are you doing today, Paul? Oh, I'm writing a sermon. Oh, what's your sermon on? Those sort of conversations happen all the time to me. This is Haley's big thing. Use events to create space for relationships. Use events to create space for relationships. So you're creating opportunities to engage and to build relationships with your community. Uh, you're doing things that locals want to be a part of. Uh, and you work out uh, where the gospel comes into that. Uh, but it's okay you know, to, to run a, a big event uh, where it's a very soft peddling of the gospel if you have created the space to have really good relational conversations. Uh, to do that well, you need to work out uh, what uh, presses the, the buttons in your community. So we live in a very arty community. Uh, Kirby's actually got the, the, the second highest uh, gay population in Sydney. But it's not your, your, your Darlinghurst, young 20-something uh, gay community. It's the 50-plus the gay community uh, who uh, they're into the art world, they're into the, the, the paintings, and they're into the, the, the acting and the drama and the theatre. Uh, and so we put on an art show. Uh, we do, we've done this twice now. We invited a local artist to, uh, to paint. There were prizes, there was $5,000 worth of prizes, which we raised through sponsorship. Um, we had different categories uh, of painting, of photography, of youth drawing, of textiles, and we just, we just turned the church into an art gallery for a week. We had over 1,000 people walk through our church building in a week. Uh, we had people who had lived in Kirby all their lives, had never been to the church building, but because they were artists, they put in an art entrance. At the prize night, we did a gospel presentation on the story, the, the, the best story ever, ever told, and presented the gospel of Jesus. One guy there, his name's Michael. Uh, he's he's a, gay, a gay guy. He said, I would never step foot into this church because I thought I'd be condemned. Uh, but he came because of the art show, and he's been back three or four times since. Um, so just work out, work out who you've got in the community. The other thing we've got in our community is people who are very um, sort of trendy to do with fair trade stuff. They're very concerned about that sort of stuff. So we just hold a fair trade market. We run it on the same day as the local Kirby markets uh, so that the, all the crowds are there. We have outside our church. We open up our church building. Uh, we sell fair trade goods. We don't sell many fair trade goods at all. We probably sell about... $200 worth of fair trade goods, but you have 50 or 100 conversations with people who walk past your church. Here's just a few uh, things to show. This, this is our iHeart Kirby art exhibition. That's a flyer. 
these are people outside. These are people inside our church building. It was being transformed into an art gallery. It cost money to do this. This was a fitness morning we ran. We ran a local fitness morning because of so many um, people under the bridge each morning doing early morning fitness. We've got three guys in our, in our, our congregation who are personal trainers. And we're like, hey, why don't we just do this? People turn up. Uh, we signed up for Clean Up Australia Day. So nobody in Kirribilli had signed up Kirribilli to do Clean Up Australia, which is a national day. And so we signed up as the link. Church by the Bridge was the link for Clean Up Australia in Kirribilli. Uh, there was 140 people from the local community who rocked up to spend three hours picking up litter. And when you spend three hours picking up litter with somebody, you have some really good conversations. Uh, we do a winter appeal, we do a free community lunch. Uh, so uh, the second Sunday every two months, so just six, six, six times a year, we put on, on a free lunch in our church hall. We invite anybody from the community to come and just enjoy a meal with us. Uh, we had a lot of the people from the Housing Commission come, but we also get some people who have moved into the area who don't, don't know anybody. They only come once, you know. They often don't come back a second time, but you've had a conversation with them. And then when you see that person on, on the street... You can say, oh, hi, uh, how are you? How are you settling to Kirribilli? A key thing in all these things is uh, being good at remembering people. You've got to work out the system where you can remember people, remember just a bit of information about them. Uh, I actually just go home and just write down the name and one or two facts about people who I've met. Either, either new people who come into the church building or an, an a unbelieving contact, you know. Uh, Carlo, barista, down at Barcino's, just broken up with girlfriend. If I, next time I'm going, to, I'm going to Barcino's, I'll go, oh yeah, okay, I'll need to ask him how's he going after his breakup. It is, it's extraordinarily powerful when an unbeliever crosses your path in the street and you can say, hi Beth, how are you? Uh, how, how's it going working for, um, for Ernst & Young? Have you settled into that new department? And they're like, whoa, <laughs> because people don't do that. We live in a society where, where people walk along the street with their, their heads down, don't want to talk to anybody, and you even struggle to remember information about your best friends. But if you can remember information about people and care enough to actually ask them, it's actually making the gospel really attractive because there's something different about you. You care for them. You've remembered them. Um, what else have we got? Oh, this is our community lunch. That's Lily. Know yourself. Know what your passions are and, and use that passion to uh, build relationships with unbelievers in that particular area. My passion is triathlons. Uh, so I uh, had to change the night that my Bible study was meeting to free me up to join the local triathlon club. Um, there are about 60 people who are there. Um, we, we run on a Thursday night, we ride on a Saturday morning, and we, we swim on a Tuesday morning. Uh, I'm the, um, and there's now two Christians. There's two, two of us who are Christians there. What, what struck me by joining an event like that is that we often as Christians forget how few 
friends unbelievers really have and how free their diaries are. You know, I'm running around the track with Tom and I'm going, hey, we should really do dinner with you and Claire one night. Oh, yeah, I'd love to. When can we do that? And I, get, I embarrassingly say, oh, my next free night is uh, three weeks' time. <laughs> he's got a completely empty diary. He's got an, he's got an engagement in a month's time. Um, they are, there's something unique about the church in terms of our relationships, which we forget is not there in the world. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, so invest time in those relationships, know your passions, springing out of that triathlon club, which was actually an organized triathlon club, springing out of that, I now meet with 15 guys who live in Kirribilli. So the, the, the triathlon club was in Mossman, which is a 10 minute drive away. I, I found out that 15 triathletes live in Kirribilli. And so on the days that we're not, not training with the other guys, we're now just training together. So it will be just a random email saying, hey, I'm doing a swim session tomorrow morning. Uh, I'm doing a run tomorrow night. Uh, I'll probably turn up to two of those a week, additional ones, or I'll organize it. Uh, when it's raining and you've got a ride planned, hey, come to our church hall and we'll put the bikes on trainers and we'll put the big screen up and we'll watch some cycling on the big screen and we'll do a two-hour bike session in our church hall and wham, they're onto the property. Uh, it's broken down the barrier of getting onto the church property. It's just really simple. Find out what your passions are, get involved in, in local events. Oh yeah, reach those you know. <laughs> this is crazy, isn't it? That churches and planting, you put on all these great events uh, and you organize this great evangelistic event, uh, put out flyers and you're expecting people to respond to a random flyer, but you're not actually inviting the people who are closest to you. When was the last time you invited your unbelieving sibling? to church? When was the last time that you uh, invited your, your work colleague who you sit next to every day to work, uh, to church? Um, so rather than focusing on all these people that you don't know, all these um, sort of blank faces in apartment blocks behind buzzers that you don't know, you just think of all the people that you do know. Write, write a list of all the people that you know who are not believers. Get your congregation to do that. And let's lay down a challenge, okay. 2011, the challenge is for you to have, uh, let's say, five, five conversations in the course of a year with those that you know about the gospel. And let's invite two people to church in a year. They might say no, but you put yourself out there and you've invited your unbelieving friend to a church service. Um, put faith on the agenda. In all this stuff, it sounds very relational and very sort of like just building relationships. Always got to have faith on your agenda. Uh, you've got to be thinking, how do I bring the gospel to bear here? Uh, simple questions like, um, I've tried this in the community. What would you expect your local church to be doing in the community? Just go around the shops, ask that question. With a local church, uh, what do you expect a local church to be doing in this community? What would you like to see it be doing in this community? Uh, what do you expect from God? If there is a God, what would you expect him to be doing in your life? Um, it's not hard to have those conversations. Just try it. It's not as weird as it, as it sounds. I hate door knocking. I'm not that kind of guy who likes door knocking, but I'm, I love just a, a conversation with a barista as he's, as he's uh, making my coffee 
and I'll say, hey, you know, if you came to church, what would you want to see church at church? What would you think you should be doing in this community? Um, it does put faith on your agenda. Always have a, a explicit course or something to invite them to. You know, my, my brother, who's not a believer, he um, he came to church with me back in the UK, and uh, he expressed interest in following that up and doing a course. I phoned around eight churches in his local area within a half-hour drive of his house. This is the UK, so it's slightly different. And not one of them had anything they could, they could offer. And that broke my heart. Um, if you're going to be building evangelical contacts, uh, there needs to be an ongoing thing in your church. It doesn't, doesn't have to be a program. I'm not saying a program. I'm saying that you need to be willing to give up an hour of your week to meet with this person one-on-one to do Simply Christianity with them. If, if you can't do it, somebody else in your church can do it. But have something that you can invite them to and follow them up with. Um, where are we up to? I'll be, I'll be I'll finish in a minute. Be missional. Um, I've got two more points. Be missional. This is a great, a great quote. I can't remember who, who quoted it. Somebody once said... Um, Stop seeing mission as something that you add into your calendar and start to see your calendar as being missional. Stop seeing mission as something you add into your calendar. Oh, here's my two hours to do mission. But to see your whole calendar as being missional. What that means is, um, okay, I'm working in a city. I've got five lunch times. Um, I'm going to take one of those lunch times and I'm just going to invite the person next to me at my desk to come and have lunch with me. I spend, time, I spend half an hour talking to an unbeliever and deliberately trying to get faith onto your agenda there. Okay, I'm walking around Woolworths doing my shopping on a, a Monday evening. This is missional. As I'm walking, I'm praying. Oh, I've spotted that person who lives in my suburb. Hi, how are you? Oh, yeah, you live in Upper Pitt Street. How are you going? You have a brief five-minute conversation and your whole life is being on mission because you're so captivated by Jesus and in love with Jesus. Of course, you, your whole life is missional and it stops you seeing mission as just events that you put into your calendar. Um, I've already said remember people. And in terms of follow-up, uh, be patient, be prayerful, be consistent. There's nothing worse than uh, forming a good relationship with an unbeliever and then you get so busy at church that they kind of just drop off your radar and they feel like they've been dropped from your agenda. It just takes time. Be consistent, be prayerful, have integrity and always look for ways where, where Jesus just oozes from you. The gospel radiates from you because you're just living differently. Um, so it's not rocket science. I've said nothing which is revolutionary this morning. All I'm saying is love Jesus so passionately, be so humble in your walk with him, stay close to him, start to see the world and the community through the eyes of Jesus. They're harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Start to see people like that. And then just be deliberate. Be deliberate of, of, of in, in your evangelistic context. Our Father, you have lavished us with a, a love beyond measure. You have poured your grace and mercy 
out upon us. Lord, please keep us humble. Keep us some humble servants, Lord, who are living for you and for your glory. Please strip us of pride and arrogance. Uh, forgive us, Father, for times when we're just so focused on programs and on, on um, admin and on church stuff that we just don't see the world through the eyes that you see them. Lord, please, would you give us a heart for the lost? Lord, please show us those people who are before our eyes and before our faces every day who we know but we don't know. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would help us uh, as men and women here to be so captivated by the gospel and so sure of heaven and of hell, Lord, that you would give us uh, that heart for the lost. In Jesus' name, amen.